Hello and welcome to this episode of the Rising Sport Podcast. This is Dominic Kearns, joined by Aaron Blau. Kyle is out today doing mysterious things. He has not responded on his phone. Aaron, how are you doing? Doing really well. It was kind of an interesting week for me. I didn't get to see either of the games live. Uh, so being able to come back and uh, see it using ESPN Plus uh, on the replay is absolutely fantastic. Aaron, be honest. Did you know what the result was on Tuesday before you watched it? So this is the thing. All right. Uh, on Tuesday, I was at a board of directors meeting for an organization. Uh, at that particular board of directors meeting, I was being elected chair of the board of directors uh, if you can believe that, yes, I am actually not quite not quite a hooligan in uh, my 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 normal collared shirt life, I would say. Um, so, right after I was elected chair and took over running the meeting, I promptly put the uh, USL Championship Match Center up on my uh, computer and was shifting back and forth uh, in between doing different pieces of important business uh, for the East Valley Jewish Community Center. Not all heroes wear capes. Proceed. Yes, yes. So, uh, um, you know, certainly uh, nice to see the early goal, then to see the equalizer, and the game, or uh, the, the meeting was over by the time, uh, right around, right about halftime. So, was able to come home and catch some of the end of that piece. Okay, so you did see all the craziness at the end. Yes, I saw. The, I basically walked in. I had to stop off at Costco uh, um, on my way home after the meeting and pick up two beautiful 16 by 20 uh, Solomon Asante uh, photos that I had taken, uh, which one is going to be going to the soccer ball on October 9th, and one is going to be up for auction uh, next Saturday as part of the uh, Red Fury fundraiser uh, for that we're going to talk about a little bit later in the show. Uh, and, uh, are you throwing are you throwing like three weeks worth of humble brags in here to make up for being off the last two weeks? Well, you know, it, it just shows how uh, um, how much Phoenix Rising stuff has just infiltrated my life. Like I'm at a meeting, watching a game, then I leave the game, and I have to go go to the store to pick up something for other Phoenix Rising related stuff. And then you know, last night I was at a wedding, and I swear to God, I only watched about five minutes of it live. At, uh, during the reception uh, while checking the score about 35 times throughout the night. Um, shout out to Owen uh, Owen Evans, who I was following uh, for all of my news. Uh, Firebird Soccer, Mark Murray, uh, had some, some stuff going on last night, so he wasn't able to live tweet. So Owen uh, really came in, uh, came in key there for me while I was at the wedding. Um, dealing with my children and my wife and my in-laws and all that other great stuff. You'll you'll get to know this Dom pretty pretty quick here. You got the, I, that wedding. I uh coming. yeah, I'm I'm already on that path. Um 70 days. Crazy. All right. Um uh, let's let's get to the actual stuff that we got to talk about. Let's get to yesterday's match. A very very interesting starting lineup. Um Aaron, what are your thoughts on Rick Schont starting Whelan and Ledbetter in the same starting 11? That's the first start for both those guys. Yeah, it, it, it seems odd that, that Whelan gets put in, in, you know, 
as opposed to like feral and feral um feral wasn't he wasn't on on uh disciplinary issues or anything like that right nope neither was mala for this match mala was out on tuesday for his red card um so here we're throwing yet another center back into the mix uh which is kind of interesting uh, good to see Austin Ledbetter. We knew that he was going to be replacing Dabuya. Uh, that was that wasn't exactly that much of a stretch, but to see two fresh faces on a back line at the same time definitely was a little odd for me. Yeah, I'm right there with you. Um, maybe Ledbetter. I no one saw Whelan coming though because. There were even rumors that he wasn't even going to travel with the team. He ultimately traveled with the team and made his first 18-man roster on Tuesday. But, yeah, I think anyone who would have guessed that, that would have been a long shot for anyone on the team. You know, um, on the Instagram, or, uh, or uh, yeah, I think it was on the team Instagram, they showed a picture of the team all having dinner in Amadou Dia's family's restaurant in Denver. Um, I can't remember the name of it, but if I'm in Denver, I'm definitely going to go there. Uh, this, this French restaurant that's out there. And I think somebody picked out that Whelan wasn't in the team picture, and they thought that he hadn't made the trip. Uh, so it was kind of interesting to see, you know, we're always searching as, as, you know, Phoenix Rising fan pundits, trying to figure out what's going on. And the fact that Whelan wasn't in that photo was a little bit interesting. Uh, and then all of a sudden now we see him in the starting 18. Yeah. Quite interesting. I mean, the rest of the starting lineup is not really much to talk about. It's Fleming, John Asante up top. It's Aguinaldo, Cavan, Vaccaro in the midfield. So, you know, your your normal guys there and then Lubin and Net. So we go to the game itself. And really, it doesn't take long for Phoenix to put its stamp on this match. Right off the bat, we force the Colorado Springs keeper, Andre Rawls, who was called down from the Rapids. He was actually their backup most of the season, formerly of Orange County, their starting keeper in the Western Conference final last year. He gets to start. He has to make a couple of saves right off the bat. But in the fifth minute, Adam John applies pressure. Ball um, gets taken off his feet, but it bounces right to Jose Aguinaga, who is just one-on-one with the keeper, and he just one-times it, rolls it into the corner, no chance for Rawls there, and it's 1-0. And uh, when when you see that ball go in, I can't ask you, Aaron, what your reaction was in lifetime. Um, but it's it's just perfect. That's exactly what you want to see. It's the third straight match where we scored in the first 10 minutes, which is amazing. I mean, you want to keep a winning streak going. That's how you do it. You put the pressure on from the opening whistle. And then the second goal is where it really, um, where it really goes to another level. Well, I'll, what I hate about the let's go. We'll go back to the, yeah. Go for yeah, it. Yeah, we'll go back to the first goal, uh, real quick. I mean, it, it starts off nice in, in the Phoenix Rising half. Um, I don't know who made the pass, to, the original pass to Aguinaga. I can't tell it from the replay, um, but actually splits some defenders. Lets Aguinaga carry the ball. Um, Aguinaga makes. A, a nice uh, dish off, kind of not quite a through ball, but um, and when I saw it on the little screen on my little uh, Samsung S9, 
Um, it looked like John had backheeled it. Uh, and I was like, oh, my God, what a nice backheel. Now looking at the replay, no. I see that uh, uh, I see that it wasn't a backheel, but it was Jordan Burt coming in with a slide tackle and the ball getting deflected into the path of Aguinaga. Uh, good to see Aguinaga actually approach that with some poise. He's had some questionable, uh, uh, maybe a little too much adrenaline, a little too much excitement where he, he's misplayed that, but uh, is able to, to pick up his second goal of the season. Yeah, and a very great finish there from Aguinaga, which is something that we had been we've been critical of him at points this season, but the last few weeks his finishing has really improved and that finish he makes no mistake. It's a beautiful job. Um so it becomes one nil there right off the bat. And then moments later, in the eighth minute, Solomon Asante makes it two. And I have a gripe about the broadcast here because the broadcast doesn't show any of the buildup on this goal. It shows Rick Schantz on the sideline looking dapper as always. And then all of a sudden, Asante's one-on-one with the goalie and he puts it in. Carbon copy of the Aguinaga goal. And every, and like, I was watching with uh, Tasha and her mom and I was just like, what? Like, we're all like, what? Because um, it just came out of nowhere. There's can't even tell who assisted. Like, if there was an assist, was it a... Uh, a bad pass that he intercepted. I don't know. All of a sudden, he's just got the ball, uh, like a, like the magician that he is. <laughs> I guess he'll never know Solomon's magic. <laughs> <laughs> he will never know, let you know his secrets. Uh, did you? I don't think there was an assist on that play either. So we really don't know how he got the ball in that situation. Um, nope whether it was a steal or a bad back pass. That's right. There what. was no credit assist. But, so I guess you you have to figure that deep in the defensive – or uh, uh, that deep in the Colorado half, he probably had to pick that off somehow. Uh, and it must have been really cleanly because he had full control of the ball <laughs> yeah. when, the, uh, when the camera actually did come back to him. It's like, oh, geez, he's about to score. He better show that. <laughs> I just – I crack up too much, man. It's so easy to make fun of the the USL production, and I I understand without getting too serious about this that different stadiums have different production values, and it depends on the crew and all that stuff. I just think it's funny that he just shows up right there and he's putting the ball in. Yeah, it's like, and uh, you know, oh, Blair Gavinston, and like, look to to some actually no, Colorado had live has live announcers, don't they? in their stadium. They don't use the, the guys that I, are sitting in Tampa. I believe so, yeah. Yeah. I, I wasn't watching that one. I was watching the local broadcast, though. Oh, okay. Yeah. With Tyler and Devin. Thank God, because the other broadcast was awful. You know, sidebar here, I really liked the, uh, the Tacoma broadcasters weren't that bad. Yeah, I only saw highlights on that, so... So I can't I can't speak to it, but there is a, you know just like the quality within USL is a little bit different depending on you know from top to bottom. I think the quality of the broadcasters are are a little bit different as well. And you know eventually, hopefully, we'll get uh we'll we'll maybe before we hit playoffs, we will uh, try to get Tyler or Devin to come on our 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 little podcast here. Absolutely, I, I think I've already reached out and said they could just about putting one and one together. 
but I'll get that done. So at this point, I mean, we're inside 10 minutes. It's 2-0 already, and the next 10, 15 minutes, Colorado Springs looks defeated. We're just running 30 passes in a row on them. The only way they can break it up is with a foul. This looks like this could be six, seven, eight goals for a stretch there. But then Colorado Springs starts to come to this game. They start to show some professionalism. Um, actually, they had a shot before our third goal where a header really should have been put on target. I don't know who came up with that header. Um, pardon me because my laptop decided to do all the updates at once. Um, but it was it was a chance that they really should have done better on. I think it should have been a goal. In any case, Colorado Springs coming into this match, but Phoenix makes it three in the 27th minute when Solomon Asante makes things happen. He works his magic again and plays a beautiful through ball to Adam John, who just kind of his sweet spot is on that right wing, um, getting the just crush the ball. And he just crushes it up, upper 90. Um, Rawls doesn't have a shot, and it's three inside of 30 minutes. What are your thoughts on this game? Yeah, you know, it's a real nice thing to see. Um, uh, John had, coming into the Tuesday match against Tacoma, uh, he had a uh, a five-game goal drought going. Uh, He did have one uh, assist in that period, but he had had a five-game goal drought. And there were some people saying, hey, you know, kind of what's the deal? Um, In the Tacoma match, we'll talk about the goals that he scored in that particular match. But we're so used to seeing him kind of in this this Chris Cortezi goal poacher role, and the the switchbacks announcers live were kept talking about him essentially, you know, running poachers goals and, and just being a guy uh, to to pick up um, pick up loose balls and whatnot. And then he smashes this ball uh, into the near side uh, from you know from the from the right right side of the field there, and you're like. All right, this guy can pretty much score from anywhere, and it was a nice reminder that he's not just a target man. He he has the ability and he has the foot to be able to put the ball in, regardless of where he is on the field. This is one of Adam John's most complete matches this season because he was involved in the build-up on the first goal. He made a couple nice passes to set up other opportunities that didn't necessarily result in goals. He tracked back on defense and made a clearance or two. He was just a very consistent part of Phoenix Rising's efforts in this win, even though he gets subbed off relatively early in this match. He just seemed to be everywhere and involved in almost everything in that 3-0 win. And uh, just got to give credit where credit's due because he, he really is a complete player. You know, as much as we love Cortez, I think he's a more complete player than Cortez was. And his impact was felt in those 65 minutes. Absolutely, and and it's really important, and it kind of gets lost in in the whole mix of this, um, because of of Solomon Asante is just really sort of historic playing here. Uh, but John is tied for third in the Golden Boot race. <laughs> so, you know, <laughs> so we have Solomon Asante, you know, who just leads the pack, almost. You know, pretty much destroying everybody. And then you have John that's tied for third. And you have... How many goals does John have? John has 14 goals now. 
So he's on pace to break Cortez. What would have been Cortez's record from last he, year? He, he, you're exactly right. That's correct. He's 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 at about 150 minutes per goal right now. Is where he's at. Just a little bit under 140 minutes per goal. Um, so he's absolutely he's beating the pace of, of Cortez's goal record. Because I think a lot of people got confused when Asante was around the point where he was going to break Cortez's record. Um, Cortez only had 17 regular season goals. He had two postseason goals, so the total was 19. But he only had 17 regular season goals. And so John is already right on the heels of that. Yeah, and, and still Fleming behind a, behind with 10. So this this group, this this top three, I think uh, I think it was announced yesterday that they've broken the record for you know trio goals in in USL. That was one of the dozen or so records that we have now. That's insanity. Yeah, solo solo also with the assist on that broke the single season record for goals and assists combined. I think that was 30, Emmanuel Ledesma for FC Cincinnati last year with 32, 16 and 16. Um, Asante breaks that record. He now has 20 goals and 14 assists. And still, we have eight matches left. Anyways, the so 3-0 already. Um, but yeah, and that was a great third goal because Colorado Springs was starting to come in the match. It was Austin DeWing who had a, a header that just missed. Um I would say the rest that, that has Colorado Springs. That was the best 20 minutes of soccer we've played since before that RGV game. You know, we, we've had I don't want to say struggles, but we just haven't looked quite as crisp as we as we did sort of uh, toward the the latter half of the first half. I don't I don't know. Basically, before the RGV match, we just had some real stretches where we weren't that sharp. Uh, especially at the beginning of the match. And this was the the best 20 minutes to start a match, I think, that we've played in a long time. Definitely. Definitely agree there. Uh, we were on their throats until about the 20th minute where they started coming into it. But then, but then we answer with a third goal. After that, Colorado Springs, you know, they're professional players. They don't like getting blown out at home. So they have some chances, um, but nothing that gets too close to going in. Um, and Phoenix actually has chances to make it four goals. John DeCaro misses one. Um, the, the Colorado Springs fans and players were upset with the refing, especially in the 37th minute when Christopher Reeves picked up a yellow card. But uh, that was just a lot of frustration for them. Right before halftime, Ishmael Jome has a long shot um, that just misses. So they were getting a little more dangerous. And then right at the end of half, it looks like Phoenix puts a fourth goal on the board. Um, Amadou Dia plays a long ball for Kavon Lambert. Kavon Lambert puts a perfect square ball in, and John times his run up perfectly, puts it in. You think it's four. And actually, the linesman initially didn't have this offside, but the offside call was for Kavon Lambert on the initial ball by Dia. So... It, it, on TV, it looks like it could be offside, so I don't think there's many complaints about it. But then when the flag stayed down, you're thinking, oh, well, it's four. You know, kind of weird, but I think I think the right call was made. It's hard to know exactly with the TV angles, but 
It, it, Any it thoughts looked, on that? It looked right, and I learned. See, I am now an AYSO regional certified ref. So now I know that when a goal is scored, the, 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 side, the side judge, the AR, if a goal is scored and the AR thinks it's a good goal, they're supposed to, to run to center field. They, you know, make make some eye contact, run to center field. If they're not sure, they want to have a conversation. They're supposed to just stand there. And Owen Evans actually uh, made a note of that as well. That he stood there, just like uh, just like they train us at for AYSO U U10 and U12 refereeing. Um, and uh, you know, so that, that it was kind of interesting that I was able to catch a uh, catch some of my training just in the in, in the following week. I'm sure you can use this as a great training clip for the future when you're head of refereeing in the region yeah, for 10, 15 years. It'll probably only take about a year and a half. You know. The... Okay. <laughs> <laughs> no, probably not. Um, oh, and shout out to Flemings who actually, I mean, it was a rough night for him, but he had a beautiful shot moments before that offside call where he just cut it in on his right foot and the shot was destined for the top left corner, but Rawls with a uh, potential save of the week nomination um, gets up there to block that ball. That was a very great shot and a very great save there. So, and, and, you know, Fleming didn't have too many on target. So that one was worthy of being a goal, but brilliant play by Rawls. So what can you do? Um, at halftime, Colorado Springs makes a substitution. Seth comes off. Romero comes on. Seth barely did anything in that match. I don't think I heard his name more than once or twice. So good stuff for Colorado Springs, but we don't need to dive too much in the second half because not that much happened. I mean, it was a pretty open game. Like, teams had chances. Um, John had a couple headers that couldn't quite get on target. Amadou Dia cleared one off the line early in the second half. That was a brilliant play. Um, Absolutely gorgeous, and, 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 then, and definitely some lucky pinballing there. Um, you, you know, the the only thing to really talk about too much in the second half is Lubin's goalkeeping, really, uh, really kept that clean sheet alive, um, and Dia definitely kept the clean sheet alive there in the 54th minute. Um, was able to basically save the ball on the line. Uh, the ball did play back to the Colorado to a Colorado player. Who promptly just put a foot on it and put, gave the ball right back to right, right back to Lubin as he was laying laying on the ground there. So uh, we had a little bit of luck of the Irish there. Yeah, what that was the sequence where you're. It reminded me of the RGV one from early in the season where you're thinking that has to be a goal, and they just or maybe it was even last season where it's, the, it's like it has to be a goal and it just didn't go in, um, but it stays three nil there. 61st minute, Cesar Romero had a good shot, and this is one of the situations you were talking about. Lubin goes full stretch, palms it with his left hand, and then jumps on the ball right before an on-rushing player comes. Um, Austin DeWing, I think. And then beyond that, not not too much to talk about. You know, a couple chances for us, a couple chances for them. Um, ben Spencer came on as a sub. We like to see that, and he put a shot on target. Um, we saw a little appearance from the pizza man, Joey Kalitri, and just very professional down the stretch, you know. Th there were a couple sloppy plays in the back that set Colorado Springs up with opportunities, but 
Lubin was up to the task, and their finishing was pretty off. They didn't challenge him too many times. Um, so, so, you know, Fleming had a couple chances too, and just couldn't quite put it on frame. But some interesting things that I definitely wouldn't have wouldn't have thought about it as I'm watching the replay. I just didn't wasn't calculating in my head. Phoenix Rising up three nothing, still with sixty four point four percent possession. 64%, basically 65% possession, didn't hold back, didn't bunker in, you know, kept the ball moving, 531 passes. So my my line for sort of like what is success and what is not success under the Rick Shant system is we should have about, about 400 passes a match. And over the past several matches, in fact, I wrote up this whole thing for for last week or two weeks ago when I wasn't feeling well enough to actually do this, uh, to, to do the podcast. And our total passes per match was falling during this this um, um, sort of like lull in offensive productivity. And here we had 531 passes, even though we were holding the lead. Now, that's, that is Rick, Rick Schantz soccer. That's what he wants to do. Um, and we were able to fully execute in this match. I mean, there were – I didn't think it was 65%, but there were moments in this match where it looked like grown men playing against AYSO boys, where we were just putting the ball around for fun. Um, you know, like I was saying, like there were, there were stretches where we would get like 20, 25, 30 passes in a row, and the only way it gets broken up is by a foul. In the second half, I felt like that that slipped a tiny bit. I'd love to see the first half passing percentage, though, because I think that first half, we might have been close to 90% accuracy. And we finished at 85% for the match, which is much more on target with what we have been doing during our peak performances in this streak. So, very good point, Aaron. And, you know, even though it didn't feel that way as much towards the end, we were very in control. Yeah, and, and any last any last thoughts before we move to the Tacoma match? You know, it, like I said, it was just a really nice sort of return to that peak performance. It, it's really hard to say. It's like, well, you know, our lesser performances of of the seventeen game win streak. You know, um, but you know, the, the fact of the matter is, we we had this period where we weren't fully dominating in the same way that we were at the beginning of the streak. Um, so it's really nice to be able to see us uh, kind of back at it. And the fact that we had two new faces on the back line doing it, we're, we were able to get Vassal in for, uh, for another game to qualify him for playoffs. Um, Kalistri and Spencer with some playing time, and not short playing time. They came in at 65 uh, to, to be able to spell John and Asante. So th- just really, really nice to be able to get those guys some rest uh, especially with three matches in eight days. Definitely. Yeah, and, and especially a couple small observations. Good to see Ben Spencer, because I don't think he'd made an appearance in almost two months. Um, good to see him, and he was active, too. He put a shot on goal. Um, you know, keeping Kalistri involved, he started on Tuesday, which we'll get to. Um, but then another thing, good to see Ledbetter. I thought Ledbetter performed pretty solidly, about as well as you could expect for a guy making his USL Championship starting debut. Um, 
you know, you can talk to anyone who follows SC Tucson. He's been a regular contributor for them. But he hasn't had too many chances. He's come on as a sub a couple times, but he hasn't been able to start until yesterday. And I thought he did a very good job putting balls out for corners, clearing balls when they needed to be cleared, you know, limiting the amount of clear-cut opportunities that Colorado Springs had on his right side. I was extremely impressed. I think more so than with Whelan. Well, my 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 uh sort of like bar for success is how much did we hear their names being called? And we barely heard like I don't I didn't hear Whelan called out at all in the in the broadcast whatsoever. I mean that that's because we had the the switchbacks guys who didn't even know how to pronounce uh, Solomon Asante correctly or Aginaga. They uh, they kept saying Aginaga instead of Aginaga. Well, I had the local feed thinking. Yeah, it, it would have driven you crazy. Um, and you're right, that was uh, Spencer's first first uh, playing time since July 19th. So, cool stuff. All right, let's get to the better, or I shouldn't say better, but the more interesting match of the week. Sounders two slash Tacoma Defiance hosting us on Tuesday night. This match, you know, last week, Kyle and I thought that Colorado Springs would be the tougher match of the week. We figured that one match wouldn't be too bad, one match would be tougher. But we were both thinking it would be Colorado Springs. Turns out that Tacoma, since they called a couple guys down from MLS, and suddenly they're like gangbangers this week. They beat San Antonio 5-1 on Friday. Um, so they, I don't know what's in the Wheaties down there, but they're going off out of nowhere this week. Um, and they looked really good. And they, us. they really did. They played us tough. They looked good. Yeah, they, they, uh, they had sequences where they were passing the ball very well, and they had very good build-up play. Hopiao um, is going to be is going to be a, a player to really watch. Um, both Leva too, in, Danny Leva. Yeah, in our match and this this five one victory that they had against San Antonio, um, uh, Shannon Hopia was just a solid solid guy. I think Danny Leva and Danny Robles um, are names to keep an eye out on too. Not just in USL in years to come, but potentially MLS and potentially in the US uh, like U seventeens, U twenties. Um, looking forward to that. So they they bring some good players down. Thankfully, they do not have a good goalie in this match, Brian Meredith. Um, I saw some comments from Tacoma fans, and they're saying that their their backup situation is just pretty bleak at goalie. They have a very good first team keeper for Sounders, but beyond that, it's pretty bleak. They have Trey Muse, and then. Behind him, it's just kind of a crapshoot. They've played five, like Carl five different. He should probably walk into their starting eleven. Yeah, they've played five different keepers so far this season. Yeah. So, um, and then at our starting lineup, it's a pretty standard back four, other than Mala being out because of the red card from last week. Aguinaga, Musa, and Vassal in the middle. So Vassal making his first start in that match. Um, and then Kavon getting a break, staying out of the starting 11. And Vicaro. So, at the top, we had Solomon, John, and Joey Kalitri coming in. So, 
definitely not our strongest side as predicted. There's some rotation, but still a pretty solid side, and we're going for it. So let me let and me ask you about minute, Vassal real quick because, um, like sure. I said, I wasn't able to see all of this. Did they play Musa in this in the like this this the center defense uh, center defensive midfielder position, and then had Vassal on one side, Aguinaga on the other side? Yes. Okay. All right. That's what I would have expected, but the way that I've seen certain things written down, I just wasn't sure. Yeah, and it was an interesting match from Vassal. You, you saw flashes of his ability. He had a long ball for Solo in this match that was just divine, like a 50-yard long ball on point for Asante to chase down in the corner. Um, but it was a tough match because Tacoma played us hard. So thankfully we get a big break in the second minute. Meredith with a bad pass gets intercepted by Asante. Asante sees John in the middle. Plays in across, John gets a glancing header, it's off the bar and in, and right away we're up 1-0. So another early goal. I didn't even see this live. I was running an errand. I didn't get back till 7.15, and I didn't realize it was starting at 7 and not 7.30. So I'm like, all right, we're already up. What are you thinking when it's 1-0 right away? Yeah, well, it was a really nice goal, and this was the definition. I mean... This is, was a target man goal. This is what we were expecting to see uh, from Adam John. It's it's the exact kind of play that we're expecting to see, um, and this is what erases that that sort of like you know five game five game drop uh, five game scoring drop for him. So really really fantastic to see, and everything just as you would in training. Yeah, yeah, definitely a, a training ground cross and. And score, but, but the, the keeper still, the keeper made a mess of that. I mean, flat out, you know, it was he almost deserves an, the assist. Well, he does have the hockey assist, I suppose, um, because Meredith absolutely makes a mess of, of the clearance off the line. I see that he's he, you can see that he's trying to put it over the over Asante's head to to um, the to the midfielder and just does not put enough uh, enough oomph on it whatsoever. To, to let it fall to Asante's uh, to Asante's feet, and from there you just watch him as he's moving in the box, and it's just total and utter. He's just totally in disarray at that point. Um, John was it was good that he was able to keep himself onside because uh, he was really close to being offside, uh, but he had, he had a uh, a good view of the defender in front of him, was able to keep himself in the right position, and once the ball released off of Asante's foot, uh, was able to kind of get enough on it to put it to the to the uh, back post there. But what's interesting about this match is that after the goal, we're doing okay for the next 10, 15 minutes, but again around the 20th minute, and this has been a recurring issue in a lot of matches, Around, we'll play sharp for the first 20 minutes, and then we'll let the opposition come back into it. And that's what really happened in this match. Um, Alfonso Ocampo Chavez hit the bar in the 23rd minute with a shot. He was given too much space to shoot. Yes. And then two minutes later, um, Tacoma draws a penalty. Um, not too much to argue about here. Not on this one, anyways. Um Ocampo Chavez again, getting into the box, moves around Zach Lubin. Zach Lubin has committed to stopping the ball. 
he takes out Chavez. It's a pretty clear-cut penalty. And Shandon Hopiao, like you said, puts it right in. Uh, very cool penalty, and it's 1-1. And then afterwards, Phoenix really did flip a switch. They were pretty aggrieved that it was 1-1 at that point. And moments later, Phoenix should have had a penalty. Almost a carbon copy situation. Asante in the box, plays the ball around the keeper. Meredith appears to knock him to the ground, except the ref does not blow the whistle. The commentators were uh, in disbelief that this wasn't a penalty. It looked exactly like what happened three minutes ago on the other side. Is there any explanation for that being a play on? You know, I I actually haven't had a chance to co- to head over and look at that. I made a note to do it, and I didn't actually end up doing it, so I'm pulling it up now. Um, but it's not in the match highlights. Yeah, it's not. So you'd have to. Yeah, that's what I'm. So uh, I'm trying to fast forward as fast as I can. Uh, but you know, I I think that this might be one of those cases where. Um, this might maybe one of those cases where our sort of reputation as a foul seeking team maybe um is coming back to bite us um, you know we, there was even talk about that in last night's match about you know whether there's some embellishment going on uh when Asante the shortest man on the field goes up against i don't it wasn't Jordan Bird it was the other defender the tallest guy on the field and, and how he goes down and in the way that he acts. Um, and it wasn't just him because uh, uh, even when Lambert went down last night, um, the um, – uh, who did we play last night? <laughs> uh, the, switch, the switchbacks were complaining about the way that Lambert went down. So I think that this is just something we have to come to expect where uh, we're going to get some of the fouls, but some of, the, some of these uh, – Referees and some of these ARs, they kind of know what we're looking for at certain points of these games. I think that's a fair point. Um, and I, I could see why. It's just bizarre because literally the exact same play happens three minutes before, and it's a penalty, and no one argues about it being a penalty. So, like, the exact same thing happens on the other side and you're not going to call it. It's just, I understand that we do have that reputation, and I get it, but in that situation, when it's clear-cut, you got to point to the spot. Oh, um, I'm sorry. Yeah. I'm sorry, man. That is 100% a penalty right there. I mean, for God's sakes. You know, just because it's, I get it that it's Asante. Sorry, it's, I was able to pull it up, like, right then. That's absolutely ridiculous. Like, they they need to be disciplined yes. for, for missing that call. That's that's awful. Um, so we move on. Phoenix at this point, after they don't get the penalty call, we're just ticked. So the last ten minutes of that half, Phoenix is just knocking on the door, trying to put a second goal in. Uh, Cochran has a shot that's saved in the thirty third. Aguinaga has a shot that's too high. Asante has a shot that just misses. Um. Peter Lee Vassal has a shot that's high. And Tacoma had a couple chances too. But, you know, the announcers are saying, you know, if this keeps up, Phoenix is going to score again. Second half starts, and it's actually Tacoma that gets the best chance in the early stages. 
Daniel Robles gets a pass from Ocampo Chavez, their goal scorer, and misses this by maybe an inch. I mean, he hits the inside of the post and it bounces across the face of goal, but it does not go into the net. Um, pretty unlucky for Tacoma to be 0 for 2 on posts and us to be 1 for 1. So it stays 1-1 there. We make a double sub in the 57th minute. Junior Fleming's for Kalistri and Kavon for Musa. This is something that Kyle and I alluded to. The bigger bodies would come in later in this match and make a difference. And they did, but not right away. 62nd minute, Fleming's has a header that just misses. And it just, it felt like everyone was trying really hard, but the finishing was just off in this match. Um, Aguinaga had a chance he should have done better on. And it was just, there were also these moments of danger where Tacoma was exposing us and completing a lot of passes. I mean, before before Tacoma makes a 2-1, what are your thoughts on the early part of the second half? Well, what we're looking at is, and I think coming into this week, I mean, and even in last Saturday's, well, maybe not last last Friday's match, but coming into this Tacoma game where we know we're playing on short rest, I think a lot of us out in the punditry or on the fan side are thinking, well, look, you know, we, we our record is set. Like, we're good. We set this record. You know, everything's everything's happy. Um, you know, if this is the time, this is the time. Uh, lousy that it can happen against Tacoma. Um, but we're sort of expecting it. Like, everybody sort of wants to predict when when uh, when our streak is going to end here, everybody wants to be the the one to predict it in some way, shape, or form, whether it's um, other teams or even with our own sort of punditry. Yeah, but no one's predicting it to happen against Tacoma, um, which is why it's all the more shocking in the 72nd minute when uh, Justin Dillon just comes on as a sub for Tacoma, and they play a long ball, and he looks yards off sides. And this, apparently the five stays down, Dylan gets the ball, and he's ahead of everyone. So now it's a sudden breakaway opportunity. Everyone's scrambling to come back, and he smartly plays the ball off for handball of Juana, who uh, puts in a sliding finish, and it's 2-1. And, you know, Farrell is putting his hand up. Everyone's just in disbelief that this was an onside call. And I saw someone tweeted after the match that the ref was, the AR was scrambling, did not have a good view on the play. Um, again, with the camera angles, there's no way to tell where Dylan was at the time that that ball was played forward. Because uh, it was a long ball from well inside their own half, maybe like a 50-yard long ball. So there's just there's no way to tell. But the moment that Dylan is in the frame, he looks like he's six yards off sides. And like maybe even more than that, and it's yeah, hard to. He's he's. It looks way off. Uh, anyways, so Phoenix is pretty understandably upset at this point. I gotta tell so you, Bacero Dylan comes is a in right big after. man. He's got a big body on him though. A lot of yeah, he is. But luckily, you know. That sad and all, 
and then at that point, I think it was right right about when when he scored is when I walked in the door and turned and turned the game on here at home, um, and and then all the fireworks begin. Yes. So after that, um, Tacoma has a guy go down, a couple guys go down in the 75th minute and then 78th minute. Definitely trying to see this match out, and at this point, Phoenix does not look like we're responding too well. Not a lot of immediate chances. Tacoma's actually doing pretty well with possession, and I think some people around the 80th minute were in the mindset, well, maybe this is how it ends. Maybe we'll scratch out a draw, but it's it's looking pretty dreary that we're going to score two goals in 10 minutes, um, given the way things are going. Little do we know that Phoenix is just going to keep on plugging. Um, Pacaro gets a shot blocked out for a corner, Seems like the millionth corner in this match. But this time, Vaccaro um, puts in a good ball, and Asante just gets a great glancing header. And, you know, maybe their goalie should have done better here, but um, the ball hits off his hand and crosses over the goal line before he can push it out. So it's 2-2, and it's a whole new ball game at this point. I agree with the announcer. Um, so, I mean, that's really, uh, uh, that's really a, the, a, the post player's responsibility uh, the guy wasn't on the – he was about uh, three yards off of the post. Um, it really was not the key – in set play – in set play diagramming, that is not the keeper's uh, the keeper's fault at all. Yeah, I, I mean, it's, it's definitely more that, that, that Asante needs to be marked. But, you know, let's put it this way. I think Lugan's able to make that safe. Oh, I just love the fact that the the, the the shortest guy in the field at five foot two is the one who gets a header in for in for the game tying goal. <laughs> but it it just shows it shows that we refuse to lose, and it shows Asante's mentality in particular. A lot of guys his height wouldn't even try to get in on the goal scoring on a corner kick, or maybe they'll hope that a set piece comes out to them and they can volley it. But he's right in the scrum getting that ball, getting that head on it. And it, it shows the mentality that we have. And then after that goal goes in, immediately we're grabbing the ball, putting it on the center line. Let's get it going again. Um, I love that mentality. And moments later, it pays off. Um, take, what are your thoughts on Kavon Lambert on this third goal? Because this is just incredible stuff. Yeah. I mean, Lambert really willed he he like willed to happen um, because when that ball's in the corner there, you're sort of trying to poke it out and and you see he's got such a large body on him. I mean he's he's kind of kind of skinny, but he's really tall. He's kind of lanky, and you don't expect him to be able to put as much finesse on his body movement in the way that he was enabled to to. First, poke the ball away, and then be able to outbody the 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 uh, defender and get on the on the I guess you would say the right side of him to be able to control the ball. And you're seeing this the, the ball come up, and he's got a dribble within like centimeters. He's he's basically dribb- dribbling the ball on the goal line and uh, on the end line. And playing this like tightrope game that requires a lot of finesse, and uh, then he pokes at it, just pokes at it to try and 
and put it somewhere into the mixer and successfully does so. And then here we see John uh, get his legitimate, real, actual poacher's goal, uh, Cortez-esque poacher's goal. Uh, but 100% of this goal belongs to uh, Kevon Lambert. Okay, Keith, I say I, I, I got to fix it. Kevin. I got I got to fix Kevin it. Lambert. Kevin Lambert. Uh, now that we have now that we have his name right, hundred uh, percent of this belongs to Kevin Lambert, um, and being able to walk the tightrope. Absolutely, and and the way you say it, he willed it to happen. He just would not be denied. That was a situation where the odds are so low of even getting past the initial challenge there by his countryman, Nick Hines. But he does it. He stays with it. I was expecting him to just put a ball into the middle, but he just kept walking that tightrope, got past another defender, and, you know, create chaos because the goalie isn't expecting a shot on goal from such a tight angle. So he can't get a – he can't wrap his hands around it. And then John just toe pokes it a couple times. You know, talk, talking of country, about these, that's kind of one of those things that I, I think we've seen something similar from uh, Jason Johnson. So to to see sort of this lanky midfielder uh, using using this level of finesse that that we've seen in the past from from Jason Johnson as a striker, really, really just pretty fun, a lot of fun to watch. And Kevin, and Kevin is still only 21. People forget that. Yeah, that's nice. MLS shouldn't forget that. European leagues shouldn't forget that. The Jamaican national team shouldn't forget that. But people forget it. Yeah. He's only 21. So now we're sitting. Um, now we're sitting up three-two here. Um. Yeah, but that's not enough. And by the why, way, why score? I, my kids are both asleep at this point, or or they're supposed to be going to sleep. When we scored that goal, I screamed so loud from downstairs that I woke Eli up. <laughs> and I said, just come and watch the end of the game with me. <laughs> so Eli came down, and, and uh, we, watched, we watched the end of the game. As, Eli's watch, as Eli is walking into the room, uh, Dom, what happens next? Jose Aguinaga plays a good ball for Junior Flemings, who cuts into his right foot and from over 20 yards out, curls it brilliantly inside the left corner for a third goal in three minutes to make it 4-2. A, a stretch like I, and, I've never seen before. And this was this was definitely the most beautiful goal of the bunch. It's ultimately an insurance goal, but at this point, I mean, for each one of those goals, I wasn't yelling, but the first one, I, like, jumped up and down. I was like, yes. Second one, I'm, like, really jumping up and down and, like, um, like trying not to be too loud because we have dogs that get riled up by anything. After that Fleming's goal, I, like, slapped on the couch a few times because I was just, it's just crazy. And then all the dogs start barking like crazy, and everyone's like, why'd you do that? Like, we just scored three, three minutes. Um, so emotions are hard to contain at that point. Uh, running down the match, Tacoma actually had a chance that was called offsides correctly, and Phoenix didn't have to do too much more other than that. 
hold on, get the job done for two, and get out of there with a huge win. Um, one thought I have, though, and then I'll turn it to you. And I, I expect your thoughts to be more positive than this. One thing that is concerning is I think there are two ways that you can give Phoenix a hard time. There are two approaches. One of them, you can say, look, we're just going to park the bus. We're going to try to defend, 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 get that one counter tackle, and try to beat you 1-1 in a penalty shootout. The other option is you get a bunch of young, speedy guys, and you just hit us on counterattacks, especially when we don't have Mullen in our starting 11 or Farrell in our starting 11, if at least one of those guys is out. That has proven to be somewhat effective. Los Dos had a very strong performance against us by annihilating us on the counter. Tacoma also effectively hit us on the counter with young, speedy guys. This is a trend I'm a little concerned about. What about you? You know, I... Reno hit us for two on the counterattacks with quick attacks. I think at this point, and we're so used to seeing our team playing on the counter, uh, that was our, our, our major style of play in 17 and in 18 as well. Um, and here we are now we're trying to play uh, a little bit more possession-style ball, uh, a little bit more solid um, strategy, I guess, as opposed to just um, <clears throat> relying on uh, on base creativity, I guess, is, is what I would say. Um, but what we've been able to see in terms of how we rebound is our endurance is is heads and tails above everybody else. We go for the full, we are able to go for the full 90, and not only are we going for full 90, I mean, these guys, some of these guys have barely had a rest. Uh, Flemings has had a little bit of a rest because the national team work. Uh, Asante has played in 24 straight matches. Uh, Dia has played in 24 straight matches. We have guys that just put in minutes, and they're ready to go all 90 minutes. And these other teams that have gotten a little advantage of us during different parts of the game, uh, different parts of the match, after 60, 65, they're toast. After 70, they're toast. After 80, they're toast. They can't put in the final 10-minute shift, and we're able to take advantage of that. Uh, and and this, is a, this is a prime example of it. But does it concern you a little bit that quick teams – have had some success countering on us. Listen, I'm doing everything the worries season, me, you know? Well, because uh, in the middle of the season, I thought we had handled this better and teams weren't doing this as much on us, especially that stretch where Farrell and Mala were in the center back pairing together. You know, early season, we were getting ripped apart on those counters. But I feel like lately it's been slipping up again. It's been happening again. Well, I think what we have is we have some of these these younger teams, uh, especially on the like the two side or the, the folks that are running out here, the 17 year olds, the 18 year olds, the 19s, and they're really relying on speed for the majority of their strategy. Um, and it takes us a while to be to be able to break down that strategy because it really is a base creativity style method or uh, technique. There isn't enough way for us to game plan this. 
So when we're in that first 25 minutes, we're in that most vulnerable time until we can actually see what we're up against as we're running shoulder to shoulder against them. I, I think once that happens, once we get out of that first 25, that we tend to be okay. But it, we're, we're, I think we're very susceptible to counters. We're very susceptible to creative play in that first, uh, that first 25, that first third of the match. To me, I think it even goes beyond that because it's just, I mean, Tacoma could have very easily had three or four in that match. Los Dos very easily could have had four or five. These are not, these are not exaggerations. These are like very real possibilities that could have happened if not for Lumen making crazy saves against Los Dos and if not for Tacoma showing a little bit of an experience getting a little unlucky on posts. So that's, and New Mexico put three against us early in the season. It's, it concerns me a bit. That's not, not to take anything away from what these guys are doing. It's just, it's something in the back of my mind. And I hope that it's in the back of Rick's mind. And I hope that we are able to dictate tempo when we're playing against these types of teams, especially come playoffs. Indeed. Um, but moving moving past this, because we're already an hour in, and we got tons of team news, and we still got to talk about San Antonio. Aaron, run down the team news for us. All right. So team news. Here we see uh, we get we have uh, Corey Whelan getting his first uh, his first time with the first team. Sees sees his uh, first set of play on Tuesday, uh, and then uh, his first start. With the, with the team. Big news that came out, kind of snuck into uh, the press release, the pre-match press release for the Colorado Springs game, is that uh, Phoenix Rising and Devin Vega have uh, decided to part ways. Uh, Devin Vega is spending some time with Puerto Rican national team at this point. Uh, I, I, I had opined it would be kind of interesting to see if San Antonio signs him, uh, because that is, that's likely where he's going to end up back with. Um, although some may think that he isn't uh, isn't even good enough for San Antonio at this point. Uh, the we are. I would I would love to see him get picked up by RGV and just have a full time starting eleven role next year. That that would be good. I, I think that's a that's a decent. Position and then give him a pathway for MLS minutes. Too. Yeah, exactly. Uh, as the result of the so, some kind of funky results that happened. And some funky math. Uh, Phoenix Rising has clinched the uh, been the first team to clinch the playoffs. This is the fastest a USL team has ever clinched a playoff spot. Uh, with nine, I'm sorry. At that at that point, we had nine games remaining, uh, and we had we had clinched the playoffs. We have just barely clinched, but based on the Austin Bold result for tonight's match. It, we are recording on Sunday. You guys will hear this on Tuesday. Um, as a result of whatever happens in Austin tonight, we may be clinching our first round home match, and tickets are slated to go on sale this week, uh, like two months before the playoffs start. Uh, so, if that result it goes the way that we're hoping, if the result goes the way we're Austin hoping, win. which we need a a draw, an Austin draw or an Austin loss today. And they are playing against RGV, 
RGV being a lower table team, uh, we may be looking at having to shell out some playoff uh, playoff ticket money here. Uh, Sam Dore and the, 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 the ticket office has released the 2020 season ticket plan. Uh, if you want to get in on that, that's a $50 deposit. Get going on that piece of it. Some four corners. Yeah, lots of time, but this puts you on priority list. Yeah, yeah, fifty dollars puts you on priority list. Uh, so, so uh, that's and that will be credited against whatever ticket package you choose. So it's not fifty fifty dollars that's lost. We have some important four corners cup matches coming up. Uh, a win plus a draw in either of the two remaining Phoenix Rising four corners cup games wins us the cup. But pretty much anything except that. Uh, means that 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 it's going to be between either the Monarchs or New Mexico. Yeah, so just to break this down a little more, um, two wins, we obviously get the cup. Any combination of a win or a draw, we get the cup. But if we lose either of those matches, there is no scenario where we can win the cup. Because Monarchs is on nine points. Their only match left is against us. New Mexico is on seven points. We're on eight points with the two matches left. New Mexico's on seven. They have two matches left. They're going to beat Colorado Springs at home. So when we go to New Mexico, that'll be their last match in the Cup. If they beat us that day, they clinch it. If they lose to us that day, then us versus Monarchs will decide it. If there's a draw in that match, um, there is a scenario where then if we draw against Monarchs, New Mexico still wins the cup, but we would then control our own destiny and the Phoenix-Monarchs match, whoever wins that would win the cup. And that, you and know, as a, uh, as a, that's our final home match. Is that the final match or the final home match or both? That is the second – that's our second to last match of the season. It's the last match of the Four Corners Cup. Um, as a neutral, I think that would be the most fun scenario because going into that last match, a Phoenix win would win Phoenix the Cup. A, a Monarchs win would Monarch the Cup. A draw would win New Mexico the Cup. That's just fascinating. That's riveting stuff. Um, but it does put Phoenix in, in control of our destiny. And then if we beat... New Mexico on the road, then we only need a home draw in that second-to-last match. So it, it puts us pretty clearly in the driver's seat. And the big thing is that we don't need a win in New Mexico. New Mexico needs a win against us. Yeah, and the, and the final piece in our team news segment here um, is we have several call-ups that are, that are going on. Uh, so, so Mustafa Dumbuya is already with the Sierra Leone national team for the upcoming international break. And then Flemings and Vassal are both heading off uh, to go reunite with the Jamaican national team uh, for some upcoming matches as well. Interesting piece of this is there was no call-up for uh, for Kevin Lambert. Um, and that that's a little – it's a little bit of a surprise and a little bit not of a surprise because in their last set of call-ups – they did not play Lambert nearly enough, in my opinion, um, and so maybe uh, this is a little bit of team coordination uh, between between the Phoenix Rising and the Jamaican national team saying, hey, look, we got three of your guys on our team. 
uh, can you leave us at least one of them so that we can continue to be competitive as we head into the uh, the last few matches of the season? Perhaps. And it'll be very important to have Kevin against San Antonio. Um, the matches where this would impact us the most is this Saturday against San Antonio and then probably Wednesday the 11th at Las Vegas because we do have a short week, midweek match. Um, even though the international break can end as early as September 8th, the international break does go until Tuesday the 10th. And so teams that have matches that Monday, that Tuesday, I don't think those guys would be in the fold for Wednesday's match. Too quick. And I would even yeah. – even Dumboya, I don't expect him to be in the fold for Wednesday's match. By Saturday the 14th, you would expect these guys to at least be able to come on as subs, if not start. Get them back rolling again. Yep, exactly. And so uh, was there any other team news, or should we roll into that San Antonio preview? Oh, yeah. Last little pieces relate to sort of where uh, where things sit for us in terms of a magic number. Uh, our magic number for to clinch first place is uh, to clinch first place in the um, in the conference is 12. So that's 12 of a combination of our wins, Reno losses, uh, Fresno losses, or, oh, I forget who the other one is. Yeah, I think I think everyone gets the point. Yeah. That's that. Draws. Uh, draws, yep. Um, so I we're looking pretty good there for a first place. And we are also nine points clear now of the top team in the East. So we're also looking very good for number one overall in a USL Cup final. Let's turn to the San Antonio match, though, because this is a very important match for both teams. San Antonio had been on a pretty good run of form coming into this. They had two wins and a draw in their previous three matches. They had just thrashed New Mexico, and then out of nowhere on Friday, you know, you're thinking that, all right, Tacoma on a short week, they only get two days off after playing us in a tough match. San Antonio gets the full week and they can roll in. No one sees this coming. Tacoma 5, San Antonio 1. And the 1 is just an ultimate consolation goal right at the death. San Antonio does have most of the possessions. They have more shots, but not as many on target. But uh, a real head-scratching result. What San Antonio team is going to show up here on Saturday? Yeah, so if we go through the numbers, San Antonio is sitting 9, 7, and 10. They have 34 points. They're sitting just below the uh, the playoff line uh, with 33 points. Or I'm sorry, with 34 points. So they have a lot to play for here. And they either need to, they, they need to like, turn it on. they got to figure out what the heck they're, they're doing here um, because they only have – two goal scorers with with seven goals apiece. They just don't seem to be – they don't seem to have a, a central leader. Uh, Jack Barnby has seven goals. Christian Pirano, uh, t- very talented player with seven goals, uh, four assists and three assists respectively between Barnby and Pirano. Uh They have several players sitting on five, uh, five goals as well. 
So this is this is a team that has some talent, but you're right. They're very um, – they don't seem to know or understand what personality that they're going to come out with on, on any particular night. They have a lot of good home support. They're pulling 6500 per match uh, for each of their home matches. So it, it's not like, you know, they're playing to empty stadiums where they don't really have an understanding of what they're playing for. Uh, but they got to get something going if they want to be able to get above the black line. Yeah, it's it's a season that's very similar to last year for them. Moments where they show that they can be among the conference elite, but other moments where they're just losing matches like this one against Tacoma. Last year, they ultimately missed the playoffs despite getting 50 points, the highest point total for a team to miss the playoffs in USL history. Um, this year, it's, uh, it's looking like it'll come right down to the wire for them again. And one guy that everyone's very interested in, Billy Forbes, only three goals this season. Only two since he scored against us on opening night. He has three assists as well. So, you know, again, pretty disappointing stuff. And it, it just shows that we were right to uh, cut ties with him and let him have another chance somewhere else. My guess is, unless he turns things on late this season, he won't be back in San Antonio for 2020. Um, and this is a guy who was all-league second team in 2017. Yeah, you you just can't have a guy who's, uh, you know, with 15 starts, made it into 23 matches uh, with that low, you know, who, who's really supposed to be a striker. Uh, or, or at least a goal scoring, uh, a goal scorer with three and three. It just doesn't make sense. Yeah, so I mean, it's it's a team that has struggled to score goals this year, though. Um, they have been on better form lately, and it does seem like they get up for the big matches, um, as evidenced by, you know, their recent run of form, drawing OC, beating Monarchs. One goal loss to Sac Republic, 4-1 win in Reno, uh, 5-0 over New Mexico. They did draw RGV, disappointing draw there, but they tend to get up for the big matches. You know, earlier in the season, they played Fresno Tough, 3-2. They beat Reno, 3-2. So this won't be a stroll in the park for us. Do you think we'll get the win, or do you think that with all our guys out, this is the match that ends the streak? Uh, you know, I'm just not going to be the one to make that call at this point. Um, I, I'm very pleased with where we're sitting. I think maybe the, this, uh, this win against switchbacks has kind of reignited some creativity flame, uh, in there. Uh, I think we, we can come away with this. I mean, these are guys that do score. They do have a pretty decent goals for, but they also they only have a goal differential of five, so we should be able to put up three on them. I think we can win three to one. I think it's going to be a little bit chippier, testier match, um, but San Antonio is just too inconsistent for me to see them being the ones to end the streak. I do feel like the end is coming. I don't think San Antonio is the team to do it though. Um, I'll take a 2-1 win in this match. It's not dollar beer night, so there is that element to it, but I, I still feel like we can get 
this match may play out like the El Paso match, where, you know, maybe we get an early goal, but then it gets really chippy, really defensive, and maybe we get a call that goes our way to make the difference. Um, the home crowd will have to be up big for this match, because I, I don't expect this to be a walk in the park. I'm going to be out of town, though, so you guys will have to be extra loud for me. Will do, will do. I'll, I'll try to shout from the sidelines, but not be noticed. It's not a- and, and shout out to uh, San Antonio fan and listener Ram and Cole, who um, <laughs> was adamantly banging the drum that San Antonio was going to take it to us next weekend. See how that prediction looks after that 5-1 drubbing and then us getting the job done in Colorado Springs. Um, hopefully he accepts our, our bet. He oh, yeah. what tried was to this? start something what? and get a bet going. Yeah, tell me, this is the, the flame bet? Yeah, he was he was very confident earlier in the week, and he was willing to do a hot pepper challenge after we had narrowly escaped Tacoma. I said, accept it. You better accept it or you're a coward, and I will provide content regardless of how the game goes. Have not heard back, so pretty – Pretty typical, honestly. The inconsistency that we've seen on the pitch is mirrored by Ram and Cole's inconsistency. Oh, so Hopefully, he so gets hard. it together. I will tell you, I, the I, end will, of the I am not going to bite into a hot pepper. Uh, just my my insurance is not that good. Or you know, maybe I don't know what's going to be out there in San Diego. Maybe I'll take a, a tapatio shot or something like that. I'll, I'll do something. Uh, that that would be okay. It. That would be okay. Um, but I, I accept, so I feel confident about this match. The Vegas on a short week actually is the one that scares me. Yeah, the Vegas one that, that, it, it's just, it's sort of like, uh, bad memories from last year at the end of the season. You know, we had sort of given up and we're like, ah, you know, let's run Victor Vasquez out there. <laughs> like, whatever. Uh, and, and it is... I mean, shots won't make the same mistake twice, but let's face it, we're going to be missing three or four national team guys still. We're still going to be missing Dumboya for that match. We're still going to be missing um, Flemings for that match. We're still going to be missing PLV. It, it's going to be a very tough one. I that That's the one that scares me more, but you guys can preview that match next week. I feel good about San Antonio. Well, I, I hope so too. I, you know, I, I like the organization. We got some, we have some fun ties that, that give us a little bit of a, a little rivalry feel. Um, although I don't know how much longer that's gonna last as San Diego comes into the league and and, and whatnot. Oh, are you sad? Oh, you are sad. Oh, he said no. He said we aren't gonna lose to San Antonio. That's right. All right, give me a sense. <laughs> Dom, you take over for just a minute. I'm gonna, I'm gonna uh, regulate here. All right. Well, members of this podcast are dropping like flies. I'm the last survivor. I will take over the USL standings and scores. Uh, pretty interesting week in USL. Besides our match, Tulsa, out of nowhere, gets a two-one win over Fresno. This is their first win since. June, I think, maybe even May, their winless streak has lasted about as long as our winning streak. But they get the job done over over Fresno and Rodrigo da Costa. Check out the bicycle kick he put in in the fifth minute in this match. 
ridiculous. He controls it with his chest, puts it in. Maybe not the most beautiful one we've seen in USL this year, but it's up there. Sweet, sweet bicycle kick in Tacoma, or uh, Tulsa, excuse me. Big win for them. Reno suffers another defeat. You know, the number two and three teams both go down this weekend. Portland Timbers, two goes into Reno and gets a 3-1 result on the road. Reno only gets a consolation goal in the 82nd minute. So Timbers really controlled this match. Eight shots on target to Reno's four, despite Reno having more possession. Big, big win for Timbers, too, as they stay in the playoff chase. Los Dos, the team that more people are sleeping on, then, but here, hold, uh, hold on. For, hold, on. Hold on for a second. I, I, now that I'm back, because I actually did make notes for this, and I, I'm very upset that I don't get to use them because of my daughter. Um, on that T2, if you want to see some really amazing buildup, uh, just some really like go back into the into the uh, the highlights. That first goal, um, the buildup was just awesome. There must have been like eight touches within like. I don't know, six seconds in order to set that goal up. It was just beautiful. All right, sorry, go ahead. No, thank you. Appreciate that. Um, I also covered the Tulsa 2-1 over Fresno results. Um, rounding With up the, the bicycle Western kick, did yesterday. you mention the bicycle kick? Yeah. There were two great bicycle yes. kicks, and we actually saw, I think it was that Adam John tried one in our, in, in our match against or against the switchbacks uh, to try and make it a, a bicycle kick trifecta for the week. But uh, that was that was a beauty. A couple other results during the week um, that I missed before I'll get to that last one. On Wednesday, Las Vegas and Tulsa draw 1-1. Vegas in the lead in this match briefly, but then Tobena Uzo with Tulsa's only shot on target in that match, scores, and Vegas gets denied right at the end on a pretty good save uh, by Sean Lewis. So Tulsa gets a point out of that match. They actually get four points this week, um, which is probably the most points they've gotten in a week since April. Friday, we already talked about Tacoma over San Antonio. Monarchs and OKC Energy was a 2-2 draw. Big result for OKC. Twice they go down in this match. Twice they rally. Douglas Martinez appears to give Monarchs the win in the 78th minute, but Sean Brown in the 80th splits things up for OKC. OKC we'll talk about a little bit more when we get to standings because, yes, they've had some good form lately, but they've played 27 matches already. They only have seven matches left. That's two to three less than many teams in the chase. Lorendi had a beautiful save in this, in this match, too. Uh, that, that save should show up in Saves of the Week. Um, uh, just absolutely beautiful. Go check out the, uh, the uh, uh, replay. Who had that save? Cody Lorendi. Okay. Good to know. Um, and in the last match, people are sleeping on Los Dos. It's ridiculous. They win again, uh, 1-0 over Sac Republic. Seven shots on target to Sac Republic's two in this match. It looks like they played counterattack again because Sacramento was 57% possession. It doesn't matter, though. People need to take this low-dose team seriously. It doesn't matter who's in the lineup. Um, They have guys that can get the job done. Ethan Zubak up top, Jeffrey Achimpong. Lopez has been a good player for them in goal. They have 
continue to exceed expectations. And they're, besides us, they might be the second or third hottest team in the Western Conference right now. They, I will keep beating this low strokes drum because on their results, they are proving it on the field every week that they deserve to be in the playoffs. Two matches today, New Mexico hosts Orange County and Austin hosts RGV in a match that will determine Copa Tejas. And any thoughts before I get to standings? Nope. Uh, just I do have plenty of thoughts on standings, so. All right. At the top, shocker, it's us with 62 points. Second place, Fresno with 47. Third, Reno with 44. Fresno has a match in hand on Reno. They are up by three. Looking like Fresno will get second. In fourth place, OKC Energy with 37, but this is quite deceptive because they are on 27 matches already. The teams right below them, Monarchs and Austin Bold, both on 36 points. Monarchs has three matches in hand. Bold has two. In seventh place, Los Dos also on 36 points. Eighth place, Timbers 2 with 35. Ninth through 11th, Sacramento, San Antonio, and New Mexico all on 34 points. Twelfth place, OC with 33. 13th, El Paso with 32. 14th, Las Vegas with 31. 15th, RGV with 28. And not much else to talk about at the bottom. Tulsa has leapfrogged Colorado Springs into 16th. But that's great. No one cares. So, thoughts on the standings? I still cannot believe that I'm looking at a set of standings that has New Mexico below the line. That might be that might be changed by the end of today. Yes, but that's that's very true. But you know, coming off of how strong they were now, did, has that San Antonio game started as of right now? No, no. The uh, New Mexico OC is at three, and then Austin RGV is at five thirty. Okay, I think okay. there's no San Antonio today. Oh, you're right. You're right. Yeah. I'm, I'm I'm switching back between my my magic number standings and, and uh, the the actual standings, but yes, I, I can't believe that New Mexico, after the hot start that they had, are sitting below the line. Now uh, they have a game in hand uh, compared to almost everybody above the table, or, or or a lot of teams above them on the table, but just absolutely striking the way the way that they've fallen out of form. One thing that's worth mentioning, though, they have a very home-heavy end to the season. They play at OKC next week. They play at Tulsa in October. Other than that, it's all home matches. So seven of their last nine will be home matches. Yeah. And so I, would, I would expect them to jump up a little bit. Well, I mean, their home record, they're 4-5-1 and one at home. They're 4-5-6 and six away. So it's not that much of a that much of a discrepancy, even with thirteen thousand people filling that stadium every single match. Well, it's five fewer losses, so they're going to be picking up points every. Or oh, yeah, that's a draw. I see what you're saying. You're doing the losses first. Okay. I I think. I I mean I still. When it when it really gets down to it, I'll be right there, but. No, I'm sorry. This is this, the I, site. F, FB Ref puts the uh, 
puts draws in the middle, uh, whereas USL puts draws the end. where they should yeah. be. Uh, in my opinion. So you're right. They're they're four one and five at home. So they've only lost one at home this season so far. So I'm wrong. I apologize. Erroneous as always. Erroneous. Um. Yeah, I mean, my thought is it's looking a little bit bleak for Vegas and RGV. They're still on the fringes, but um, El Paso is going to be a fascinating team to see down the stretch. I mean, OKC is going to be interesting to see what happens with them because they only have seven matches left. And they don't play – I mean, they play again next Sunday – but they don't they don't have any two match weeks in the home stretch. Most teams do have a couple weeks where they have two matches, so that actually might not hurt them so much. But it's a it's a fascinating run in. It's, it, I would it, look it, for our, for monarchs to jump up to at least fourth, maybe third. But man, even if Vegas misses the playoffs, they're playing a lot of playoff teams. And so they're going to have a huge impact on how it goes. If there are teams I'm most interested in down the stretch, I would say Vegas, um, Monarchs, Ostos, and Orange County, because really Orange County could miss it. Yeah. Who are teams you're going to be looking at down the stretch? Well, what I'm going to be focusing on, Rod, who's going to come in that fourth position? Um, who, Phoenix, pretty likely on its way to to top position in the field. Fresno and Reno, um, maybe have the, probably not going to switch places, but you know could switch places between two and three, but still probably going to be two and three. And then is it going to be who's it going to be? Is it going to be Monarchs? Is it going to be Austin? Is it going to be Galaxy? I mean, how? What a crazy story would it be to have this team that we rag on so hard all the time, uh, partially because, you know, they're in L.A. and, and it's fun and whatever, and they only get, you know, they, they play at a, a track a track field, uh, track and field stadium instead of a soccer soccer field. But how amazing would it be for, for Galaxy to continue a nice run and be able to make the fourth position in the playoffs? Um, it, it really would be. And they have – they have everyone's playoff hopes in their hands. Look at this schedule they have down the stretch. Versus Monarchs at Phoenix, versus San Antonio, versus OKC, at Sac Republic, at Colorado Springs, at Fresno, versus El Paso. So really the Colorado only Springs one is the that only is, irrelevant team in there. Yeah, Colorado's the only one. Exactly. They're going to be a major player. Oh gosh. Okay, we could we could talk for hours about this because, God, this might be the best decision day ever in USL. Yeah. But let's let's try to wrap this thing up because <laughs> we've been going. People for a got while. things to do. <laughs> yeah. Um, What's your final thought? It's nice to be able to have the ex next door name. Uh, it, it's it. Just there's there's some validation there. Um, I'm interested to see how much hate we we 
bring up over the next few matches here, uh, not only in our conference, but there's some folks who are outside of our conference on the other side of the country that are really starting to get annoyed at us and annoyed at the coverage. Uh, they're tired of people talking about Phoenix Rising. Uh, secondarily, on some of the, the more national soccer media, uh, whether it's Jason Davis's show or Counter Counter Strike or um, or uh, Counter Attack, uh, or even you know three uh, three angry lads or whatever you call them. Um, honest, three, yeah, three honest, <laughs> two two honest lads. Um, they're kind of tired of talking about Phoenix Rising. <laughs> Um, so you know, we have to we have to keep up the pressure on on the, on those national folks um, and continue pissing off everybody in the Eastern Conference. I mean, pissing off everyone really, but um, for me, it's just I was just thinking about this last night. How ridiculous is it? This streak. There was a stat after the Tacoma match. We've outperformed our goal differential. We've scored 18 more than our expected goals during the streak. We've conceded 11 and a half fewer than our expected goals. So, have we been a really good team? Are we the favorite in the league? Yes. But there's absolutely an element of luck and heart and things that you can't quantify with numbers in this streak. And I really don't know, especially if we push this to 18, 19, 20, I don't know if it's possible for this to happen again in our lifetimes. Uh, I, some other maybe in, maybe in 20 years. I mean, give me one MLS team that could beat 17 USL teams in a row. Maybe Atlanta United. Well, with the structure that they have, which is so parity-focused, you just don't. I mean, it's so... I mean, it's just hard to roll through. Okay, 17 in a row, uh, no losses in, in June, no loss in July, no loss in August. We have the, the at, at 34 combined goals and assists, we have that leader. We have two folks in the golden boot race. We have uh, the, the most goals by, by a front three ever in the history of USL. Um, breaking team records with massive numbers of games left. I, I don't know fun if it's better than what where we're at, period. Fun fun random stat from Brad Denny, who's active listener, and if you're an ASU football fan, check out their Devils. podcast, Speak of the Devils. Very good stuff. He noted that after yesterday's win, Phoenix is now tied for the most consecutive wins by any Phoenix area professional team. That includes Rattlers, that includes Mercury, and all the big sports. Phoenix Suns had 17 straight during the Nash Amare years, and now we're tied with 17 straight wins. If we beat San Antonio, not only all these soccer-specific records, but we would have the most consecutive wins of any local team in the Phoenix area. Ever. It's nuts. We're seeing some some real special stuff. So I mean, just I mean, relish it, man. Like this. When it was at like ten, eleven, I was saying maybe we'll never see something like this again. It's just we really won't. 
I mean, this team, yeah, they're always going to be one of the best teams in the league. We're always going to put out an A-plus product, but soccer especially is such a low-scoring game. There's so much chance involved. To have a streak like this, it's, it's words cannot express how tough that is. You'll see unbeaten streaks, but a straight win streak, that's on another level. We're rocking it. Yeah. So, and look, if anyone gets upset by that, I get it. I don't love seeing Man City wreck the Premier League either, but tough stuff, man. When you're the best, you got to soak it up. Yeah, um, but anything you got to soak it up, but you also got to take a little bit of hint from, from our captain, Solomon Asante, who earlier today on Twitter, you know, uh, mentioned the humility. And, and, and because there is chance that's involved in all of this. And by no means do I want other people, you know, other folks from other teams or the other conference uh, thinking of us like like they think of SC Cincinnati and, the, you know, as they say, crushed this league uh, before their their first round exit from the playoffs. You know, we we got to keep working at it. Our team, our players keep working at it. Our front office keeps working at it. Uh, we keep working at it as as a podcast. Sorry that we're back on our phone conference recording. We'll go back to our Skype recording next week that has a little better audio quality, Mike. I promise, Vanderplas. Okay. Um, but, you know, we, we all have to keep preaching the, preaching the, the gospel, uh, but it's all work. And it's work from everybody, from the people who take tickets to the people who buy tickets to the people who make buying the tickets worth it. That's, yeah, I got nothing else to add to that. That's my final thought. All right. Thanks, guys, for listening. We will be back next week. I won't be, but Aaron and Kyle will be to recap, hopefully, an 18th straight win. Until then, take care and uprising. Hashtag rising. The Rising is One podcast is sponsored by the Arizona Sports Complex, home of the North Phoenix Soccer League, Summer Futsal, Box Lacrosse League, and Summer High School Advanced League. Please visit the Arizona Sports Complex and tell them the Rising is One podcast sent you. This episode is brought to you by Roughneck Scarves and Golden Gold Press. Thanks to our sponsor, Golden Gold Press, the best choice for you to get custom shirts, hats, mugs, and other items just yourself and your organization. Check out their amazing products at a fraction of the price from other places at goldengoldpress.com. Also, thanks to Roughneck Scarves, official scarf supplier to MLS, USL, and US Soccer. Get custom scarves for your group or team at roughneckscarves.com. Thanks also to the Beautiful Game Network and all the other excellent podcasts that you can find covering soccer and all things USL. USL.